favorite ice cream, except, is there anybody out there mint chocolate chip fans? Okay, now keep your hand in the air. Mint chocolate chip, but it's gotta be the green mint chocolate chip. Okay, so everyone who's got their hand around in the air right now, these are people going to heaven, right? <laughs> everyone else, get on board, all right? Hey, uh, I'm excited to, to be with you this morning. I, I get to do like really fun stuff in life, so uh, Tucker Rocky, who's one of our local ministry partners with Painting Freedom, he says, Eric, I, I'm, I'm doing this camp trip. And he goes, I'd like if you could speak on it. I said, sure, Tucker. Now, most of the time, it's like, hey, can you speak once this night or can you speak this? He says, great. He said, I was thinking you could do um, <clears throat> Friday night at 7, Saturday at 7, Sunday at 7, and Monday at 9 o'clock. And I said, okay. And then he says, Oh, and then the other thing is, he said, I know how most of the time when you speak, like, you know, it's kind of a mic'd up thing. He goes, you're going to kind of be speaking in the woods. So he goes, it could be raining or stuff like that, but you're in, right? Well, the thing of it is, is I already said, okay, so then I can't go back. And so the other night, I'm literally standing around this fire. It's raining on me. And I look over and Tucker's like, this is awesome. <laughs> I said, hey, Tucker. What do you have going December 31st? It's the last Sunday of the year. And he stopped and he went, I, I don't really know. I said, I know. You're going to be at Hope Community Church. And he went, let me, I'll be at Hope Community Church. <laughs> but I'm grateful, and I'm grateful for guys like Tucker who are just trying to do amazing things in kids' lives. And I'm, wonderful, I'm just wonderfully blessed to play a role in it. So let me open this in a word of prayer. And we'll get started. Um, let's just bow our heads and our hearts. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Lord, we thank you that we have a privilege to walk with you. It says in your scriptures, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with thy God. Father, thank you. And I pray that we would be a people who would do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title of my sermon this morning is called Because He Lives. Because He Lives is one of my favorite hymns. And Because He Lives has been the title of various sermons that I've given here at Hope. Because I really believe that because he lives, I can get through a lot of the things that go on around me, to my life, through my life, and that just seemed to happen, the chaos around me. Um, and today, we're going to finish up the book of Mark. And the thing of it is, is guys, I'm going to tell you that whatever you think about the resurrection, you don't think enough of it. However big you think the resurrection is, you don't think it's big enough. And God tries to help us with this. Remember, at the birth of Jesus Christ, it said that the star appeared, the star of Bethlehem. At the death on the cross, it says that there was darkness over the whole world and that there was an earthquake. Why? Because God is saying, this is a big deal. So pay attention. So I want you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 15. And we're going to start off our three for the road, number one, is the resurrection radically changed society. 
The resurrection radically changed society. Look with me. Chapter 15, and we're going to start at verse 42. Jesus has died on the cross. Remember, the earth trembled. The stars were shining because darkness had gone over the land. And even the centurion who stood at the foot of the cross said, surely this man was the son of God. But I'm going to tell you that today is the great comeback. Because the thing is, is that to so many people there, they think this whole thing is over. They think that the Lion of Judah is truly dead. And they're mourning. And enters this character, Joseph of Arimathea. And I'm going to tell you that if you Google Joseph of Arimathea, you will see very passionate pieces written about him that people either think he's an awful man or a wonderful man or a little bit of both. People say he's an awful man because they'll say, well, you know what? He was on the council. He would have been there when they condemned Jesus to be put to death in the first place. So why didn't he speak out? How many have regrets of things that you could have done for Christ, but you didn't do for Christ? But I'm going to tell you that just like Jesus makes a comeback, you can make a comeback. It says, now that when evening had come, because of the preparation day that the Passover is coming and the Sabbath is upon them, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, like Nicodemus, maybe he was undercover Christian, undercover follower of Christ. But I'm going to tell you that in the death of Jesus Christ, I think Joseph of Arimathea shows more faith than those who followed him when he was living. Because at this point, if Jesus is really dead, if it's all over with, it shows tremendous faith to risk it now. Because you're risking it now. For what? He's dead. But Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate. And it's not so much going to Pilate. Did it take guts to go to Pilate? Yes, Pilate is insane. If you read about him more and more, you'll find out he's something else. But in front of his own people, he says, I want his body. I will take ownership of his body. So Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead. And summoning a centurion, he asked them if he had been dead for some time. So Pilate, remember, crucifixion, the goal of crucifixion is a long, torturous death. Jesus died relatively quickly. And Pilate goes, wait, he's already gone? And I think Pilate's going so much for the king of the Jews, huh? Joseph of Arimathea says, let me take his body. Pilate checks with the centurion. Is he gone? Yes, he's gone. How do you know? Well, we read in the other Gospels that he plunged a spear up into his very heart and said, no, he's definitely gone. Pilate thinks, okay, you know what? I can actually get rid of this problem. So go ahead and take the Bible. Take the body of Christ and go. So, Pilate marveled that he was already dead and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found, found from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then they took fine linen, took him, wrapped him in the linen, and laid him in the tomb, which had been hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. He's buried in a cave. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Josie observed where he was laid. 
Now, when the Sabbath had passed, so Saturday is over, it's Sunday morning, sunrise, everything is over with now. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices that they might anoint him. Now, this is not uncommon. The Jews would do this. Now, it's different than the Egyptians. The Egyptians would mummify bodies, they would embalm bodies. The Jews didn't do that. All they would do is anoint them with spices and that, and the whole goal is to actually put down the smell of the body. Jewish custom would be that after probably a year or so, they would go back in the tomb, they would gather all the bones together because they would be completely decayed because they weren't embalmed, it was a hot climate. They would be, they would take the bones, put them in a smaller box, put them in the back of the tomb, and then other family members would be buried and go through the same process in the tomb. So it's not unusual that they would go to the tomb. But as they're going, it says, and as they were, as they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? So what do we notice? What is missing? Remember the 12 who would stay with them no matter what? That they would do no matter what? None of them are there. A matter of fact, the women go, oh yeah. How are we getting this stone rolled, across, rolled away? Because, well, Peter's in no state of mind to do it. John ran away naked. Everyone fled. So I guess it's up to girl power to figure this out. But when they looked, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. So when they get there, I think the women go, you know what, shame on us for thinking these men are so weak and that they wouldn't show up and do the proper thing. They're already here taking care of the body of Jesus. I feel so hypocritical pointing out that these guys have been really weak over the last 48 hours. And they entered the tomb and they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting at the right side and they were alarmed. Do you know, years ago I used to be at sta on staff at a very, very large church. And I primarily worked with youth. And periodically people would die at that church. And quite frankly, I might not know who they are. And so I remember one day I was on vacation and Pastor Steve Smickley called and left me a voicemail. He said, Eric, I want you to know that so-and-so passed away. If you remember, she always used to volunteer. She worked around the office. She was there but I did the funeral, but I just wanted you to know. I said, Steve, thank you so much. I go in the following week in the work. I'm in the kitchen doing something. I hear someone come in behind me, but I don't look. I'm down at the sink doing something, and I hear this woman go, good morning, Eric, how are you? And I turn around, and it's the woman who I believe is dead. <laughs> and I turned around, and I went, whoa! And, I, and she goes, good morning! She goes, you're always so excited. I said, yeah! And I said, how are you feeling? And she said, uh, pretty good. She goes, how are you feeling? I said, I feel fine. I said, I'll be back. And I walked out, I ran down the hallway, and I'm like, Steve, Steve, Steve. Open up the door. What's the matter? Hey, remember you talked to me about that funeral? Yeah. I said, unless I'm mistaken, Steve, she's making coffee in the church, in the kitchen. And he's like, what? And I'm like, Steve, he goes back, he comes back, he goes, 
Eric, it wasn't Thelma who died. It was the other woman that died. She's fine. I walked back in and I hugged her and she goes, oh, she goes, you were acting very odd. I said, I know, I just got a little alarmed about something. She goes, is there anything I can pray about for you? And I went, no, <laughs> it's all good. They walk into this tomb expecting to see probably some men and some women working on the body of Jesus, and instead they see an angelic being. And I love what the angelic being, being says. It says that they were alarmed, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. How many of you say stupid statements like that? I'm really scared. And what do we respond? Don't be scared. I remember going on this giant Ferris wheel, and I was scared of heights. I was a little kid, and I'm going up and up, and I turned to my brother. I said, I'm really scared. He goes, oh, Eric, it's okay. Open your eyes. Don't be scared. Well, thanks. That helps. They're alarmed, and the angel says, hey, don't freak out. Listen, being in a tomb and expecting to see a body and not seeing the body, you're alarmed. All right. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. Guys, never miss the, the language of the Bible. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Okay, why should that stick out? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 46, Nathaniel gave a famous quote about Nazareth. And what did he say? Sure, you're nodding your head. Say it loud. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why would you want to tie your name to that place? And what does he say? You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. And crucifixion is left for the lowest of the low of the criminals. It doesn't say you seek Jesus, the risen warrior. It says you seek Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. The lowest of the low the highest of the high came to serve the lowest of the low. It says, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, for he is, was crucified, he is risen, he is not here. See the place where they have laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Do you understand that Jesus always includes the worst of the worst? And Peter right now is feeling like the worst of the worst, Right? He, but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him and he, as he said to you. So I love what the angel says. Number one, do not be alarmed. Number two, look and see. Number three, you will see him again. Number four, just like he told you. They tie this all together. And so what do the women do? Well, they listen. It says, and so they went out quickly, they fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, I believe what they're saying there is they didn't get into conversation around the cemetery. I think they high-stepped it back to where the disciples were. So, let's make this hit home. The resurrection changed society. It radically changed society. Our calendar is what they call the Gregorian calendar, 2023. When Jesus died and was resurrection, they resurrected, it made such an impact on our world that we said we're going to date time after him. So we, it's 2023 years since the birth of Jesus Christ. 
Now I'm gonna tell you something, there have been a lot of famous people who have done a lot of great things, and we have holidays after, we have everything, but do you understand that anywhere you go in the world, what year is it? It's 2023. It's not year, year after Mohammed, it's not Buddha, it's not some other, it's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. Christianity has transformed literally over our world thousands of years. Almost every major university you look up, Google it, you will find that almost the vast majority of them started out of Christian roots. Human rights were greatly expanded through Christianity. The parable of the Good Samaritan is the standard of how to treat one another. Equality between men and women is a benchmark of Christianity. Condemnation of infidelity, divorce, incest, polygamy are all rooted in Christianity. Christianity is the benchmark of how society should function. Between 1901 and 2000, 65% of all Nobel Peace Prize winners identify themselves as followers of Jesus Christ. So let's put that in, in perspective. The most brilliant minds of the last 100 years who have advanced us in the fields of science, mathematics, medicine, arts, are all Christians. Why? Because the resurrection radically changes society. Societal advancements in production methods, navigation, war technologies are frequently connected with the Christian value that God has put us here to make progress. God has put us here to build and be fruitful. Fruitful is more than just having kids. Fruitful is fulfilling his design for us. Our legal system is based on biblical standards. The other day I had a fun time in traffic court. I was found innocent. <laughs> but before I walked in the traffic court, there's all of these quotes. There was the Gettysburg Address from Abraham Lincoln. And you know the interesting thing is, I wonder where Abraham Lincoln got so many of these inspiring quotes that he says in that wonderful proclamation. Hmm. I wonder if he's read a Bible in his time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gave the world a baseline to measure itself. Rather than measuring ourselves against one another, we now measure ourselves before Christ. And because we measure ourselves before Christ, we realize that we're fallen, we're a sinner, we have no hope except for Jesus Christ. The Bible is the playbook on how to live. Jesus doesn't just model it, he gives it, he shows us how to live it, and he gives us words to inspire us and pour into our hearts. The resurrection changes everything. And the first ones he revealed it to were these women. And in women you will relate to this second part of the passage. Three for the road, number two, we are all Mary Magdalene. We just don't realize it. Well, ladies, how many of you can relate to this next passage? Hopefully not the demon possession part, but let's see. Now when they arose early the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, who he, whom he had cast out seven demons. Ladies, please don't relate to that. She went and told those who had been with them as they mourned and wept. And when they heard it, he was, that he was alive and had, and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Ladies, how many of you have ever said something and people don't believe? They don't believe. Why don't they believe? Because in that culture, a lot of times, the testimony of a woman wasn't believed. But why would she lie? 
Why would she be so devoted? I want to tell you something about Mary Magdalene. When, you love, when you're forgiven a lot, you love a lot. And she loves Jesus even when he's gone. And so she goes there and she says, guys, he's alive. He's not there. But good news, guys, you're going to see him. And they go, baloney. Why should we believe you? I don't know. Maybe because I love him more than any of you. I believe. Let's keep going. So verse 12, after that, he appeared to another, in another form to two of them who walked and went in the country. What famous passage is this? The road to Emmaus. And so Jesus says, okay, you know what, guys? I'm going to try and meet you on every single lever I can. The tomb is empty. I had an angel there. You saw the tomb was empty. I promised you that I would see you again. It fulfills all the scripture. You don't believe the woman's testimony, so I'll tell you what. I'll give you two Jewish men, and they'll come back, and surely you'll believe them. After that, he appeared to another, uh, in another form, the two of them, as they walked and went to the country, and they went and told the rest, but they did not believe them either. Do you remember when Jesus gives the story of the rich man, Lazarus, or the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man, and Lazarus used to lay at his gate and beg every day? And it says that the poor, the poor man, Lazarus, died and he went to heaven, and the rich man went to hell. And the rich man says, listen, just send someone from the dead. And my brothers will believe so that they don't end up here. And what did Jesus say? He said, no, they won't believe. Guys, I'm telling you, we have a real head and heart problem. I read a lot of history stuff. And I tell you this stuff, and you probably know a lot of things that someday if you're on Jeopardy will help you. But one of the things I read is I read, read the eyewitness accounts of the Titanic sinking, and numerous, numerous, numerous people said the ship broke in half. And while they're saying this, engineers are going, no, it didn't. And they were like, we were there. They said, we built it. But we saw it break in half. It's impossible. Close to 100 years later, guess what? Hey, the ship broke in half. They were right. No one believed them. Let's keep going. And they went and they told it to the rest of them, but they did not believe. We are all Mary Magdalene but we just don't realize it. We all are very guilty. We all have been forgiven much. And why in the world we don't love much is beyond me. You know, there's several passages in the Bible that talk about women coming and anointing Jesus, pouring uh, wine, oil, and ointment on his feet, putting alabaster spikenard over his head, in Luke 7:38 it says and he stood at and stood at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil and remember the people went gee Jesus do you see what's going on here what do you think about this look what Jesus says in in Luke 7:47 therefore i say to you her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much but to whom Little is forgiven, the same loves little. 
Remember last week I talked about that we swallowed the sin hook? A lot of us don't think we swallowed the sin hook. Mary Magdalene swallowed the sin hook. She knew it. These women knew it. Charles Spurgeon talks about these women coming and, and anointing Jesus, and he gives this great quote. He says, It ought not to astonish you that there were two per persons whose intense affection thus displayed itself. The astonishment should rather be that there were not 200 who did so. For anointing of the feet of an honored friend loved that Jesus deserved to be. The marvel is that he is not more oftener, or not oftener, love Old English, visited with these generous tokens of human love. Do you realize that you really don't see Jesus worshipped like that in the Bible more often? Why is that? Why is that? Because I think all of us are grateful for Jesus, but we don't need, realize how critical the need was. And Mary Magdalene had a very good grip on how evil she was. Let me tell you something. Somebody doesn't get possessed by seven demons unless they're into a lifestyle that is really wicked. And I think Mary Magdalene was a wicked woman. And then she encountered Jesus. And Jesus freed her of the demons, gave her, a, gave her a purpose, renewed her. And I think Mary Magdalene went, I will follow you everywhere. And when Jesus died, I think Mary Magdalene went, you know what? If we get to that tomb and that stone's still there, I'm giving it a try. Because I love him that much. I care that much. Let's finish this up. Three for the road, number three. You can't earn your salvation. and Live a life that respects the cost of your salvation. You can't earn it. But live a life that respects what it costs. Look at verse 14. So even in the resurrected state, I think Jesus is going, oh my gosh, guys. You don't believe the women. You don't believe the men. You don't believe the scriptures. You don't believe what I told you. So now I'm going to come and I'm going to tell you again. Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief, the hardness of their heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Jesus comes in and says, guys, how in the world are you going to change the world with me if you don't even believe the things I said or even believe your peers? How are we going to do this, guys? I need you to wake up. I need better. I remember years ago, uh, I used to coach with this guy named Matt, and Chase will always laugh because when things weren't going in a, well in a game, this guy Matt had one line that he would yell all the time. I need what, Chase? More. I need more. It's got to be in. It's got to be better. I need more. And Jesus is coming in this room, and he's going, guys, I need more out of you. Come on. I've poured into you. And whatever I poured into you is supposed to pour out of you. I need more out of you. So what does he say? And he said to him, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, which is very un-Jewish. Because the Jews for so much of their history had been hunted and they'd been running and trying to 
gather up and kind of huddle together for survival. And now Jesus is going, separate and go. Separate and go. Because what? Salvation is through what? The Jews. You got to go. Guys, you got to go out there. Yeah, but Jesus, look what they did to you. Well, they're going to do it to you, but I am telling you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Because remember, I told you, it's better for me to leave because I will send something really good. So, go into, every, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, I want to talk about this real briefly because a lot of people, this is why a lot of people say, like I've had families that will say, listen, as soon as my child is born, they've got to be baptized so they're saved. That is not what this passage is saying. Um, there's a wonderful quote here, and I know everyone in here, there's a lot of uh, Reverend Archibald Robertson fans. I'm kidding, I'm the only Reverend Archibald fan. But he gives this quote about uh, baptism. He says, the omission of, bap of baptized with disbelief would seem to show that Jesus does not make baptism essential for salvation. Condemnation rests on disbelief, not on baptism. So salvation rests on belief. Baptism is merely the picture of a new life, not the means of securing it. God wants your hearts. That's what he wants. God's not saying, well, you know what, Lee? I know you don't care for me, and I know you're not devoted to me, but dump this bucket of water over, and I guess we're good. That's not what he wants. Warren Wiersbe says, if a person does not believe he is condemned, even if he's baptized. Listen, I can go put on a bunch of Philadelphia Eagles football stuff. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be running out on the field. And if I do, I'll probably pull a muscle and get tackled by security. It does not make you anything. So what does he say here? He says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. He's looking at these guys saying, guys, do you understand his belief? Because probably all those guys are going, hey, Jesus, we were baptized. And actually, Jesus, we baptized people. So we're really saved, right? Not necessarily. Do you believe? Well, of course I believe. Show me. Show me. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. All right. If you've been a Christian any amount of time, how many people have seen this passage really get butchered up really weird? All right. I literally had a friend send something to me. He goes, Eric, is this legit? And it shows these guys handling poisonous snakes. And he said, is this happening in a lot of churches? I said, listen, I have never been to a church that handles poisonous snakes. I said, here's my rule of dealing with things that are dangerous. If Jesus did it, I'm willing to do it. If Jesus didn't do it, then I don't do it. Never in the gospel do you hear Jesus like, hey, at the feeding of the 5,000, everyone bless and praise God. And Jesus said, hold on, let me show you this. This is a cobra. Watch this. Peter, come over here. Okay, cobra, bite him in the head. There's none of that. I don't know where people get these things. And I see people say, well, you know what? You don't have faith. Now, let me tell you, snakes in churches, that's like the extreme. But let me show you where it gets a little bit crazier, right? Because in the everyday suburban church, it can filter in. Um, 
This came to me one time from a couple who's no longer here, and they're no longer here because, partly because of this. But I remember that this couple sat down with me and they said, Eric, <clears throat> you're the pastor of this church, and you're the shepherd of this church, so you need to be the leader in faith. So she said, if you would pray over your church, people in your church wouldn't get cancer. She said, if you had faith, you would pray over your church and people wouldn't get COVID. She said, if you had faith, you would pray over the church and the church would be protected by all these things. And I told her, I said, do you think I'm going to live forever? And she goes, well, no, we're all going to die. I said, no, wait a minute. If you have faith, you shouldn't die then. And she said, well, our days are limited. I mean, there's a season for everything. And I said, listen, I had a really, Pam and I have a friend of ours who was told by a Christian that the reason she got breast cancer is because she lacked faith. That's a tough one. And she said, Eric, I believe in God. She said, I don't know why this happened to me, but she said, I do believe in God. And she said, does this mean I'm not a Christian because I got cancer? Listen, folks, we have to be careful naming and claiming stuff. Because if it's not, Jesus says, it says in, in James, hey, listen, pray and pray with faith, but pray within the will of the Father. What did Jesus say? If there's any way, take this cup from me. But what? Not my will but your will be done. And so, guys, I'm going to tell you, I pray. I pray for healing. Many of you know my friend Vince Donnelly, who comes in wearing the oxygen. He's in a hospital in Christiana in Delaware. Stage four lung cancer. He's been taken off the transplant list. I'm praying for him to be healed. But I also prayed with him. I said, Vince, the other thing I'm praying for you is that you would, he knows Christ. I said, that God will heal you or give you the courage as you venture a different direction. Because, let's face it, we can all say, oh, I'm not scared. It's a little nerve-wracking. It's a little nerve-wracking. Jesus says, he quotes uh, from Deuteronomy. And he says, do not put the Lord your God to a foolish test. That's when Satan told him, well, why don't you throw yourself off the temple? Make a spectacle and everyone will believe. Jesus says, I don't put God to a test like that. It's ridiculous. Let's finish it up. Verse 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. And he went out, and they went out, and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying of signs. Amen. Now, one thing I don't want you to miss how many people are a Jehovah Witness come to your house? Jehovah Witnesses believe that Jesus is an angel. But ask them, Mark 16, 19, and say, so then when the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up to heaven and sat at the right hand of God. Angels don't sit at the right hand of God. So I would always turn to them and say, can you explain to me why Jesus' angel is sitting at the right hand of God? And then right away, they'll either send you a new person or they'll say, Thank you for your time, because the conversation will end. You can't earn your salvation, but you can live a life that respects the cost of your salvation. 
How many people have ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan? Where this regiment of soldiers all have to risk their life to try and save one guy. And they save this one guy, but it costs many lives. And in the final scene, Tom Hanks is bleeding out, dying on this bridge, and this guy who they've all committed to saving leans down to him, and Hanks is trying to talk, and he's gurgling blood and everything like that, and Hanks says, what does he say to him? Earn it. Earn this. All these people laid down their lives for you. Go live your life and do something spectacular. And what I want to challenge you is live an extraordinary life, not because, listen, Tom Hanks is saying, earn it. You can't earn it, but you can live a life that respects the cost that was laid down. My son ran track and field for years. And there's something about watching somebody give every single thing they have to hand you that baton in a good spot. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter if you don't feel good, it doesn't matter if your muscles are tight, when you see a guy coming down a straightway and hand you that baton and fall off the track and throw up, you're gonna go, I'm gonna run hard. I'm gonna run hard. And our forefathers have handed us that baton. I love reading about different athletes. One athlete that I used to read a lot about is Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant tragically died a few years ago. Kobe Bryant grew up and played basketball high school in Lower Marion, just over there in, in Delco. He went on with the Los Angeles Lakers. He won five championships. They said to him, they said, Kobe, you've always been known to have this mindset. And he said, yeah, I call it the Mamba mentality. The Black Mamba is a snake. And so he, his nickname was the Black Mamba because they said he's deadly on the basketball court. And they said to him, all right, well, tell us what the Mamba mentality is. And if you watch the interview, he gives this look, and you can tell that this guy is passionate. And he says, well, here's his quote. You get up at 10 in the morning and you go to the gym by 12. You work out from 12 to 2. You eat, recover, get out there at 6. Then you train from 6 to 8. Then you go home, eat, shower, and sleep. You've two, you've, that's two workouts in a day. Then he says this, now, imagine if you got up at 3 in the morning, trained from 4 to 6, come home, breakfast, relax, now you're back at it again from 9 to 11, go back, relax, now you're back at it from 2 to 4, then again from 7 to 9. Look at how much more training I've done simply by waking up at 4 a.m. As the years go on and the separation between you and your competitors and your peers grows larger and larger, by year 5 or 6, it doesn't matter what kind of work they put in in the summer, they'll never catch me. They'll never catch me. A mamba mentality. And one of the things I thought about as I was reading about the black mamba mentality is I thought, all right, Eric, what if you had a mamba mentality with your walk with the Lord? What if you really had a mamba mentality with your walk for the Lord. You know, when Tucker asked me to speak on this thing, and then I was speaking here, and I'm doing different things like that, I'm trying to plan out things for the fall, and all these things got going, and then Chase came home from a trip, he's sick, and as Chase is anywhere within 100 yards of me, and he sneezes, I get sick, so I'm sick, and in the middle of it, like, my head is like, you know, I'm like stuffed up, and I'm just not sleeping well, and just feel lousy, and I felt, all right, God, You've got me right where you want me because I feel lousy, but I'm going to do this. 
I'm going to have a mamba mentality this week. So I'm doing it. So I get to the, this camp and I'm speaking. And Tucker's like, Eric, how you doing? <laughs> I'm great, man. This is awesome. Let's go. Mamba mentality with it. What if we read the Bible with the intensity that it really is God-breathed? What if we opened these up and said, God, this is the very breath of God. How many of you have recordings of people who've passed away and hearing their voice is tremendous? Is tremendous. This is the voice of God written, a love letter to you. That's why it has this thing in here. It says, to and from. To Eric, from Jesus. Imagine if somebody finds that in the lost and found. What if we prayed because we believed it really mattered? Hey, guys, here's a wild thought. When Jesus woke up early in the morning when it was still dark and he went off in the wilderness to pray, what if he was doing that because it was that important? What if we attacked prayer like that? What if we invested in our church community and we came into this building with a mama mentality to say, all right, Lord, I want to be encouraged and in how can I encourage someone else? What am I going to get today and what am I giving today to someone in this room? What if that was our mentality? You can't earn your salvation, but you can live a life that respects the cost of your salvation. You've been forgiven much, so love much. The other day I was walking around with my sidekick tank, and I started thinking, all right, all right, Eric, when people ask you, how are you doing? I need better lines. Good, fine, better than I should be. What am I going to say? So I decided that I'm going to ask when I'm at the grocery store and I see people, and I say, hey, how are you today? And they go, good, how are you? I'm going to say, you know what? I am a blessed man. And I want to see what they'll say. And maybe they'll go, and walk away. But maybe they'll say, why exactly do you think you're blessed? Let me tell you why I'm blessed. So at the gas station, I'm pumping gas. I walk around because in PA, we pump our gas. We're not lazy. <laughs> we pay like 15 bucks more a gallon than you do. But at least we're not lazy, right? While I'm pumping gas, I always look around and go, hey, God, is there anyone here I can say anything? Hey, how are you doing? Oh, this gas is lousy and everything. I'm blessed that I have the money to put it in, though. How's your day going? Hey, I like your bumper sticker. Hey, you've got some rust. Whatever I can say. But I'm trying to open the door to give glory to God. Why? Because I want God at every moment of my life to know I'm going to love you a lot. I'm going to love you a lot. I want the worship team to come up. And I want to close this in a word of prayer. I want us all to stand up. And you know, this is the thing. I know most of you pretty well. And I know that there's people in your life that you really, really love. And I think that's wonderful. And all I want to challenge you to this week is stoke your love for Christ to the same level. Yesterday, 
Pam and I were, were hanging out, and I, I went over in the school next to us. There's these tennis courts. And I look out on the tennis courts. I go, oh, there's a young couple playing tennis. And I look from a distance, and I notice it was Austin and Brigida. And I just watched the two of them, and they're interacting. And there's probably too much smooching going on on that tennis court, Sue. I don't, I don't know what you do when you're playing, but there was. But I watched them, and I'm telling you, my heart, I thought, I just love those two. And I'm telling you, this is where I feel like God says these little things to me. He said, Eric, I just want you to love me like that. I want your heart to beat like that when you read this. I want your heart to beat like that when you're praying to me. Because, Eric, I'm telling you that when you're walking around and I'm watching you, I love you that much. And I feel stupid in saying, God, help me to love you at least to the amount I love my family. Please, even more. And what could God do in us and through us? Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that I would start developing a mamba mentality with you. That Lord, I would read your word and really read it knowing that this is God-breathed. That I would pray to you, why? Because it matters. It matters, and you modeled it. Lord, that I would come into this place to be inspired, but I would come into this place to be a blessing, an encouragement, an inspiration for someone else. Lord, I pray that I would love you to the bare minimum of the amount that I love the people in my life, and I love them dearly. God, I pray that I would love you in that fashion. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Mark. As we read Peter's perspective, Lord, we see these broken, sinful, fractured people. But Lord, we know that the power of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit's real because we know what happened after the book of Mark. And so, God, we thank you. And, Lord, right now the baton's in our hand. And, Lord, I pray that when my day is done and it's my time to hand that baton off to someone else, that they would see me running hard and sprinting. And, Lord, that after I hand that baton to them, I would collapse into your arms. Lord, why should we love that way? Because you first loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.